Father, what a privilege it is to stand here in this group this morning and sing about the great salvation that you offer to whosoever will. Lord, we're so thankful that we're not hindered and encumbered by the reasoning and philosophies of men, but Lord, have true freedom in your word, given to us by the grace that comes from God alone. We ask, Lord, that you would help us to worship you in song and special this morning. Lord, that our hearts would be tuned to sing thy praise. And Lord, that during the preaching, you would give us an attentive heart to listen, not only to hear, but Lord, to be doers of the work. We ask that you would give us this ability to worship you, not only here in your presence, here in this church on the, uh, today, but Lord, that our lives would be lived in worship to you throughout the coming week. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You can be dismissed to the children and toddlers' churches, but Jesus is the one that keeps that book of life. And praise the Lord, if you've been born again the Bible way, you can know that your name is written down and there will be confidence in that day. The Bible tells us that these things are written that ye might believe on the name of the Son of God and that ye might know that ye have eternal life. And uh, that is the difference between false religion and true religion. False religion gives you a hope. Maybe someday you can be good enough. Again, I like to put it this way. False religion sets salvation as the finish line. The Bible makes it the starting line. Because you cannot have a relationship without God until you are born into his family. Amen. And I want us to just start this morning by looking at one of our theme verses for this year. Second Peter chapter 3, verse 18, the last verse in the book of Second Peter. And uh, let's just read this very carefully. You read silently as I read aloud, but grow in grace... And in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, to him be glory both now and forever. Amen. But growing grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, to him be glory both now and forever. Amen. And... Uh, I would just like to challenge you that the whole purpose of growing in grace is to be able to give glory to Jesus Christ. Now, you notice it says both is that next word, both now, right now as we live, we are supposed to be able to give glory to Jesus Christ and forever. And then it's followed by one of the most solemn Words in all the Bible, the word amen. That means of a surety. Let it be so. Uh, I confirm it. And uh, just a note, when you say amen as the preacher is preaching, what you're saying is, I am in total agreement. And I believe that what is being said is true. And I want to live that. And so it's not wrong to say amen. Uh, we want to... 
do that if it is honest and true, if we're in agreement, if we're trying to serve the Lord together, or oftentimes I'll stop and say, can't you say amen to that? Uh, because it is what the Bible says, and, and we need to be in agreement. It, we're not here to argue about the Bible. We're here because each one of us, as individuals, has a great amount of difficulty. The greatest struggle in our life is trying to obey what the Bible says. And our theme for this year is to grow in grace. In the last two Sundays, we've been speaking about the milk of the Word. You've got to start somewhere. And you start with the milk, the simple things, and yet... That little song that the kids just sang, uh, My Name is Written There. Could I ask you, is there any greater or more profound theological point than to have confidence in this life that I am going to be with God in eternity? Uh, I challenge you, find me a greater and more complex theological point than that. I will concede the argument, but uh, I'm, that's one argument I'll never lose. Uh, you can't get any more complex than that. You cannot deal, delve deeper into God's Word than to understand what salvation really is. And, and salvation is the starting point. That's why the Bible calls it being born again. Uh, we have... Uh, uh, a uh, little baby here, uh, Nita's expecting here in the next, uh, sometime in the month of February. Pray for her. Uh, the last month is always the most difficult. Uh, but uh, uh, looking forward, always just newborn babies. They're just so much fun. You know why? Because they can't talk back. Amen? Uh, uh, they're just uh, beautiful little things. I love to call them little beings from inner space. Because uh, they really don't look human, do they? Uh, give them a couple of months and all of a sudden uh, they start looking like they belong in the family and all of those things. God has just a wonderful thing, but you're born at a point in time. You're born into a family. You're born so that you might manifest what life truly is. And the natural thing for a baby to do is to grow. I mean, we monitor that very carefully. If you have a good pediatrician, he's got all these charts out and they're looking how how big is the head compared to the chart and how big is the chest and how much is the pounds and and, and as long as all those things basically line up um, and, and I don't believe there's anything wrong with a high achiever. Uh, I like fat babies, Amen. Uh, and uh, that's not a bad thing spiritually either. To grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And so this morning, I, I would like for us to look at the story of a life. Now, I know I told stories and we tell stories in, through the Bible uh, time. That's primarily what it is about is going through the Bible stories. And this morning I have, oh, let me see here, one, two, three, four, at least four different sermons all stacked into one this morning. Uh, my wife says sometimes that's the best preaching because I'm not uh, 
spending too much time on one point trying to explain it, but uh, uh, again, this is an illustration as to why I would encourage you to be here at 1030 through the Bible time, because if you haven't been here for the life of David, uh, you're going to miss a lot of what's in the sermon this morning, because you will not understand all of the nuance and things that are in the stories, and and uh, the life of David is going to be coming up in a month or two, and we're going to start working on that. And so I wanted to uh, look at a life that grew in grace. Would you not agree with me that David grew in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ? Uh, David didn't start out full-grown. He started out, as most of us do, as little children, as a child. And uh, we are introduced to him in uh, uh, 1 Samuel 16. And while you're turning there, I just want to read to you part of one of Paul's sermons in, in the book of Acts, chapter 13, verse 36. For David, after he had served his own generation by the will of God, fell on sleep and was laid unto his fathers and saw corruption. Now, what Paul was simply saying was, David served his generation according to the will of God. I don't believe there's any greater thing could be said about a human being than that they served their generation according to the will of God. Uh, I would hope and pray when I am off the scene that that would be able to be said of my life, that I followed God's will for my life. Uh, we understand the Bible is very clear. God is no respecter of persons. God did not treat David any differently than he will treat you. Read the last chapter of the book of James. He says you can pray with the same results that Elijah had if you will pray the way Elijah prayed. And God wants His people to pray. God wants to answer our prayers. He wants to do great things. Now, we have to also understand one thing as well. The duties and work that God has planned for individuals varies as much as there are people to vary. In fact, the illustration in the New Testament is the body. Do you know that your liver performs 500 different functions essential to life every 24 hours? Aren't you glad you don't have to think about that? Uh, what would you be if every time you walked up a flight of stairs, you had to say, just a minute, heart, I need you to breathe, uh, to uh, start beating a little faster, lungs, I need you to take in a little more oxygen, or I am going to pass out before I get up this flight of stairs. You would, if those things did not automatically happen. Uh, God is a great creator. Wouldn't you agree with me on that? Uh, he has done a fantastic job, and he has duties for us. In fact, he says, if you want to understand how you serve in the church, uh, by the way, this is how you and I, we grow in grace by serving in the church. There's no other place to serve God. There's no other context for your Christianity. If you're going to serve God, you're going to do it in the church. You're going to do it God's way. And 
just as the human body grows and has many different parts and many different functions, guess what? A church has many different functions. Have you ever thought about how important your skin is? I mean, if you study biology or something in school, yeah. But do you realize that without your skin, uh, human beings would be very frightening now, wouldn't they? And by the way, uh, it holds a lot of things together. Aren't you glad about that? Uh, uh, we talk about, I love you with all my heart, but I'm glad that I've never seen uh, another person's human heart beating. I'm just uh, uh, glad about that. I, I'd rather it be inside of you where I can't see it, under the skin where it's supposed to be. Your skin protects you. Uh, we're hearing about this, uh, uh, what is it, the coronavirus now that has infected over 35,000 people and killed over 700 and uh, and this is a very serious thing, but do you realize your primary protection against such things is your skin? It keeps the germs on the outside instead of the inside. If they get in, they got to go down into your stomach and there's wonderful hydrochloric acid in there that burns it all up and kills a lot of diseases and keeps you from getting sick. God, God is a wonderful God. And He's created us and He has given each one of us Different duties, and the whole reason I'm talking about the skin is, do you know what the primary job of your skin is? To be there. I mean, it doesn't do much except be there. Isn't that true? I mean, as you get old, it does lots of things that aren't very nice. uh, But it's still there, and it's still protecting you. We, we need to understand the growing in grace. God's callings. We've just gone through the book of Ephesians. God has given every one of us a calling. He has duties for us to do. He has things for us to perform. And if we do not perform those duties that God has outlined for us, other people are going to suffer. The gospel's not going to go as far or as strong as it ought to go. The, uh, the, the children that we have influence of, if we're not functioning as a parent should, are not going to grow up in the wisdom and the nurture and the admonition of the Lord. There's, there's lots and lots of ramifications for one servant of God to be slack in their duties that God has called them to do. If we're going to grow in grace, what that simply means is God's blessing on our lives to fulfill His will. Can we say amen to that? The greatest accomplishment of any single human being is to fulfill God's will for his or her life. can't do anything better. Uh, How many ways could we illustrate this? I mean, the Apostle Paul wrote to the Romans and he said, I trust that I'm going to come to you in the will of God. And my old Bible had a 
uh, a big margin there, and I would write notes in there, and I underlined that will of God, and I wrote right next to it, in chains, because that's how Paul went to Rome in the will of God. And yet his testimony was, these chains have actually been to the furtherance of the gospel. For even those of Caesar's household heard the message of the gospel. Now, let's take a moment this morning, our time this morning, and what we're going to do is we're just going to run through the life of David. Not the whole life, we don't have time for that, but the good part of it. And see how David grew in grace and in the knowledge of the Lord, and see if we could get some instruction, some encouragement, uh, some uh, maybe rebuke and reproof uh, that we may take and pay attention to in our own lives. I want you to start in 1 Samuel 16. I hope you're there, and we're going to read in verse 1. And the Lord said unto Samuel, How long wilt thou mourn for Saul, seeing I have rejected him from reigning over Israel? Fill thine horn with oil and go. I will send thee to Jesse the Bethlehemite, for I have provided me a king among his sons. Now, the words that arrest me in that verse is, I have provided me a king among his sons. Do you realize David at this time was somewhere in the 12 or 13 year old range? I mean, stop and think about that. Uh, How many 12-year-olds would you want serving as President of the United States? Uh, The point being that there is an awful lot of time between 1 Samuel 16 and when David became king. if Daniel, if David, if I said Daniel, forgive me, if David, let's say, was 13 years old, it was going to be another 17 years before he gets to Hebron and is anointed king over Judah only. It'd be another six and a half years after Hebron before he is brought to Jerusalem and anointed king over all of Israel. 17 years. And it actually could have been more. He could have been as young as 10 or 12. Uh, we, we, we don't know David's exact age at this point, but uh, we'll just take that pivotal 13th year and kind of use it for our chronology so that we can figure things. And so David was brought into, and yet God said, I have provided, that is past tense, God has already made the decision. God has already started the work. Uh, We're not going to go off the deep end as the Calvinist does, but we're not going to deny the truth that God does plan and God does work and He has a, a proper calling for each individual life if we could only realize what that calling is and fulfill it. We would see God do great things in our lives, in our church. I, I, I believe the greatest untapped potential in, in mankind as a whole 
is the unwillingness of his children to fulfill God's will for their lives. And so as we look at this, we see that God has already provided. God was already working in David's life. It's going to be at least three years, maybe as many as four or five before he meets Goliath. Uh, at least 17 years before he comes into the kingdom. And in verse 13, it says, Then Samuel took a horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of his brethren. I just love that picture that is painted with uh, the word there. David had seven older brothers. And they were not uh, uh, uh Harvey Milktoast kind of guys. They were not weaklings or sissies. All of them were big, strapping men. And they were in a circle facing outward. And inside that circle, so that no one could see what was going on, was Samuel, the old prophet. And David. Teenager. Child, really. And Samuel reaches into the sleeve of that robe and pours out, pulls out a horn of oil. And his brethren hear the cracking sound as those aged thumbs begin to put pressure on that horn. And it cracks and the oil begins to spurt out. And he holds it over David's head and wrings that oil out of that horn. And the oil begins to uh, go in his hair and seep down his garments and, and uh, just... Uh, you talk about a mess. I mean, my wife really gets upset when I get one little drop of, of oil on my tie. She said, it's ruined forever. It'll never come out. Well, I mean, here David is. He's got it dripping off his hair into his face and uh, uh, down over his shirt and, uh, and to the ground and making little spots in the dust. And that's all that's said. You know, the only one that really understood that David was anointed king over Israel before David actually became the king of all Israel was Jonathan, the son of David, uh, son of Saul. He had told his father, David is going to be the king and I'm going to be next unto him. But Jonathan never got that chance because he fell in battle with his father. And so David was anointed. And by the way, if David had strutted around Judah and his surrounding territory there in Bethlehem and said, Samuel anointed me to be the next king, what would have happened? Saul would have killed him. He was not allowed to tell anybody this. I mean, the greatest news that a person could possibly have, you're going to be the next king after Saul. And uh, we'll find out that David had several opportunities to shortcut that thing. Uh, as Saul was chasing him, David had the uh, opportunity to end Saul's life early. And David refused to let any of his men or to lift his hand against the, king's, uh, the Lord's anointed. And you know where Samuel went? At, I mean, David went after this anointing. They had the dinner there. They sacrificed. David would have sat beside Samuel, a place of honor, at the uh, dinner of the sacrifice. He would have eaten. And then he went back to keeping the sheep. 
Not for months, but for years. Do you know that it was while David was keeping the sheep that he learned how to use his sling? And he learned how to use his staff? A staff is a formable weapon in the hands of somebody who knows what to do with it. Uh, In the hands of someone who is not very learned or not skilled, uh, the only one that's going to get hurt is the guy holding the staff. Uh, That was not the case with David. It was in these years that the lion and the bear appeared. Uh, Someone said, they're both in the same verse, so it must have happened at the same time. Not necessarily. David was summarizing his experience before Saul, saying that there was a lion and a bear. I didn't deal with just one animal. I dealt with two over the years. Wild animals, very dangerous. Uh, I will tell you that uh, uh, trying to deal with either one of these animals in In hand combat with only a sling and only a rod would uh, 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 result in the death of every person in this auditorium because you didn't have the training that David did. David learned how to use that sling. He learned how to use that staff, that rod, in in a way, as a weapon. The the Bible, if we'll come down here uh, to verse... Uh, uh, 16, it says, Let our Lord now command thy servants which are before thee, this is Saul's servants, to seek out a man who is a cunning player on the harp, and it shall come to pass when the evil spirit from God is upon thee, that he shall play with his hand, and thou shalt be well. And Saul said unto his servants, Provide me now a man that can play well, And bring him to me. Then answered one of his servants and said, Behold, I have seen the son of Jesse, the Bethlehemite, that is cunning in playing, and a mighty valiant man, and a man of war, and prudent in matters, and a comely person, and the Lord is with him. Now this was David's description. You have to remember this was way before Goliath. And Saul was having difficulty because Saul had rejected the Holy Spirit and God's leadership in his life. And when you reject God's leadership in your life, you open the door for the devil to attack you and to bother you. The devil cannot do what we don't give him permission to do. And when we disobey God, it's just like painting a big sign on your chest saying, devil, come get me because I'm unprotected. That's, that's why it's so important to stay in the Word, to stay in church, to be faithful in prayer, to be <coughs> excuse me, obedient to the things of God's Word. David was all of those things, and his servants had heard him playing. Now, does it normally go hand in hand that a great soldier would also be a great musician? Uh, I, I will tell you this, that those things normally don't go hand in hand. Either you're a musician or you're a soldier or you're an intellectual or you're uh, uh, a worker with your hands. But here we have a young man that is cunning in playing He's a mighty, valiant man, a man of war, prudent in matters, 
And he's a comely person. He's a, he's a good-looking young man. Uh, all this was... David is now probably about 15, 16 years old. This is a couple of years before Goliath. And David is brought in to play for Saul. And, and I want you to realize that David... His main life experience at this point was keeping the sheep out in the wilderness by himself. Uh, he didn't have all of the quote-unquote manners and fine points of society. And, and uh, you know, we might just say he was, uh, you know, one of those people from the mountains. I mean, he just wasn't cultured and all of those things. And so I imagine... There was probably some snickering at the king's table as David was learning to use his knife and fork properly and, uh, and sitting and all the protocol and all of those things. But David had something that no one else there had. He had a heart that loved God. And if you will set First things first, this is what it means to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things shall be added unto you. David did become a great king. David did become a leader of men. David did become all of these things that people were probably making fun of him at this point in his life. But he was brought in and when he began to play on that harp, the evil spirits that were tormenting him, Saul, at Saul's invitation because he had disobeyed God and rejected God's direction, they had to flee. He was willing to serve Saul. He was anointed the next king. He knew that if he said anything to Saul about the fact that he would be the next king, that he was God's chosen, that Saul would try to kill him. In fact, he never even had to say a word and Saul tried to kill him. That's coming up. But he even became Saul's armor bearer. Meant that anywhere the king went, it was David uh, as this young teenager that would carry his spear and his shield and uh, his armor would be, uh, the care of his armor would be entrusted to David you realize that when David fought Goliath and Saul offered David his armor, this wasn't the first time that David had seen this. And may not have even been the first time he tried it on. I mean, if you were the armor bearer and you're sitting there polishing the armor, I mean, what would stop you from just trying it on when nobody was looking? Uh, even though it was five sizes too big. Um, the, the simple truth of the matter was, David was all of these things before Goliath. Then we get to chapter 17, and where's David? Is he with Saul in the camp of Israel? No. David's older brothers were in the army. Someone needed to look after the sheep. And so Saul said, listen, I don't need an armor bearer. This is a war. I need, I need to fight. That's not you, David. David, you're not the warrior here. And so I'm going to send you home so I can have your older brothers serve me in the army because I need the fighting men more than I do an armor bearer. And so David was sent home. 
He was overlooked. No one was looking for David to fight Goliath. In fact, if it was anybody's job, it should have been Saul's, wouldn't it? I mean, he was head and shoulders above. All of the men of Israel, even though he only came up about here on Goliath, if he got that far. But David was obedient. His father said, hey, this thing is taking longer than we thought. Your brothers are running out of food. Take some food down to your brothers. Uh, we want them to get the best treatment, so take a gift for their captain. And, and, uh, and all these things are important. They should be done. And David hears the charge of Goliath. And we're not going to take time to read all that this morning. But we do want to understand David's heart. And so let's look at verse 45. Then said David to the Philistine, this is chapter 17, verse 45. Then said David to the Philistine, Thou comest to me with a sword and a spear and with a shield, but I come to thee in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom thou hast defied. This day will the Lord deliver thee into my hand, and I will smite thee and take thy head from thee, and I will give the carcasses of the host of the Philistines this day unto the fowls of the air and to the wild beasts of the earth, that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel. And all this assembly shall know that the Lord saveth not with sword and spear, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give you into... What's that next word? Our? Well, wait a minute. Who was fighting? Was our fighting Goliath? Was it plural? No, it was me. Singular. David was the only one on the battlefield that day. Now, did David have the right to claim the victory and talk about himself? Oh, absolutely. But did he? Absolutely not. Because the battle wasn't... David understood one thing. The battle wasn't his. It was the Lord's. Could I challenge you? That's growing in grace. Did David know how this was all going to happen? No, he didn't. He had a pretty good idea. But he was not what we would say cocky or arrogant... He picked five stones instead of one. Someone said that was one for Goliath and one for each of his four brothers. Uh, Don't think so. Uh, I think David was just preparing the best he could. He didn't need 50 stones. Uh, That was not going to be a running battle all all day long. He he knew that if he was going to defeat Goliath, it was going to have to be done. It was going to have to be done quickly. And was going to have to be done from a distance. And uh, David got the victory that day. And, and we move into the next part of David's life. Uh, I call this the exaltation of David. David was no longer a shepherd boy. He was now considered the mightiest warrior in the land of Israel. He was considered greater than King Saul. In fact, they said David has 
Uh, Saul has slain his thousands. And Saul's going, man, I like that. And David, his ten thousands. And Saul said, I don't like that at all. What more could he have than the kingdom? Well, if Saul had any spirituality at all, if he had any concern for his people Israel, he would have wanted a man like that to be king instead of himself. Now, wouldn't he? But Saul wasn't there. Couldn't be there. And so now he's going to seek to persecute David because David has what he doesn't. And I want to challenge you. You start growing in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. You're going to get opposition in this world. And some of the strongest opposition is going to come from people who claim to be Christians. Because they're satisfied with where they are instead of being obedient and realizing where God wants them to be. And as believers in Jesus Christ, as members of Open Door Bible Baptist Church, I want to challenge us from the life of David. As we look at this young man, we find him as a teenager keeping his father's sheep. And God said, I have provided. I already have chosen I know, I've already been working in this man's life. God's work starts the moment you get saved. God has a plan. He has a calling. He has a place. And it's so hard to understand. I mean, we're looking at one of the great servants of Jesus Christ. One of the great servants of God. David, who was the giant slayer, who was the king of Israel. And yet, I want to challenge you that it was no less important to be a follower of David than it was to be David. When it says God is no respecter of persons, he cannot give everybody David's job. There are millions, uh, not millions, I'm sorry, there are many thousands in Israel whose names are not recorded on the pages of the Bible whose only job was to follow and serve during the days of David. And yet, how good a king could David be if no one followed him? And so we see that each job and each duty, if we could only learn to understand that whether my job is just being there, whether my job is leading, whether my job is uh, serving, whether my job is doing the lowliest jobs that nobody is taking attention to, God has called us to grow in grace and fulfill His will. Now, David <clears throat> is, has won the battle. David has defeated the giant. Uh, look at verse 54, chapter 17. I, I like to put this in here. And David took the head of the Philistine and brought it to Jerusalem. But he put his armor in his tent. So David, after decapitating Goliath, he drags the head from the battlefield at Elah up to the city gates of Jerusalem and he posts the head of Goliath at the city gates of Jerusalem. 
Now, that's a pretty arrogant stand, is it not? Uh, Jerusalem at this time was a Jebusite city. The Canaanites controlled the top of the mountain there, uh, though the land of Israel was all around them. Uh, I think David had already been enough with God to know that that was the city he was going to reign from, from king. And he said, this is the first this is the first step. And I, I'm going to just let these people in Jerusalem know David's coming. Now, it's going to be more than a decade before David gets there. But he still came, didn't he? He was going to be six and a half years in Hebron as king of only the tribe of Judah before he would come and conquer the city of Jerusalem. And when he shows up, nobody remembered Goliath's head at the gate. But I'll tell you what. David did. He knew the direction that God had for his life and he was going to follow it and it took some time. He had a friendship with Jonathan. And Jonathan was the one in line to be king after Saul died. He was the greatest of Saul's son. God had chosen him. In fact, Saul just literally uh, had a mental breakdown when he found out that Jonathan was protecting David and, and uh, uh, accused him of all kinds of things. David was even made son-in-law to the king. David married Saul's youngest daughter, Michael. Now, chances are this happened when David was... 18 years old? I mean, that's awful young to get married. Some people do it. Uh, seems like they wait forever nowadays, but uh, the truth of the matter is uh, there, there was no time for this wonderful relationship and courtship. It was all decided on in the period of a week of Saul's oldest daughter's wedding and David goes down and And Saul had thought to entrap David in the Philistines by asking him to go down and kill Philistines and bring the the proof of those. David did twice the number that Saul required, and he and his men came back safe and sound. But it wouldn't be long before, look at chapter 19 and verse 1. It says, And Saul spake to Jonathan his son and to all of his servants that they should kill David. You read later in the chapter, and he, his wife, Michael, the daughter of Saul, had uh, found out what King Saul was planning. And she said, If you don't get out of here tonight, you're going to be dead before the sun comes up. And so David fled. Uh, and... We have David now living as an outlaw. Eventually, he goes to the uh, uh, the king of Gath, Goliath's hometown, and finds sanctuary there. I don't know how that works, but but do you realize that uh, David, because of his Carelessness occasioned the death of all the priests at Nob, 80-some men, Levites and priests, that 
he gets to chapter 22, and, and, and that's a wonderful story to spend a lot of time on. Everyone that was in debt and discontent, and, and uh, what was the other one? It's a natural alliteration there. It's a wonderful thing. Uh, everyone that was in distress and everyone that was in debt and everyone that was discontented, verse 2, gathered themselves unto him and he became the captain of him of them and there were with him about 400 men. Uh, what, what a foundation for the kingdom of, uh, of David. Distressed, indebted, and discontent. And yet these were the men that became David's mighty men. Isn't that amazing? These were the men that just the mention of them put fear into any of the enemies of David as long as he lived. David had opportunities to kill Saul. And one would say, Saul was trying to kill David. Why couldn't David kill Saul in return and save his own life? Because Saul was the king. David was not. And David refused to step out of the lines of God's authority. Could preach a whole sermon on that, could we not? This is growing in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. David knew enough about God that he could trust God, being obedient to God's word, that he didn't have to figure this out on his own when he already had direction from the word of God. By the way, isn't that how you got saved? You stopped trusting in what you could think and what you can do, and you just asked Jesus to save you. Isn't that how it worked? Could we say amen to that? Uh, it works in living for Him as well. Don't look for God's direction when you have clear direction already from the Word of God. Touch not the king's anointed. I mean, how could you get much more clear direction from that? And so David waited. Uh, I love the story of Abigail, the wife of Nabal, the Carmelite. In that David and his men, as they were living in the land of Judah, they would keep moving around different places through the land of Israel and uh, there was a fellow named Nabal, and he was a very rich man. It says he was of the house of Caleb. He was a descendant of the, uh, of the man that drove the Amorites out of uh, uh, the city of Hebron. But his name was Nabal because he was a very foolish man. And when David sent his servants to him at a time when he was shearing the sheep, a time that would have been... Uh, a very profitable time for him. He would have received uh, a great portion of his entire year's income at, at this point of his uh, of the year as he sheared the sheep. It said he made a feast as a king. And when David sent his servants, he railed on them. And David said, that's enough. We've protected this guy. We've kept this guy. We defended him against wild beasts, against wild men, against the roving bands of the Philistines. We, re we did a lot of good for him, and he requited us evil for good, so let's go give him a little evil. And David was going to kill every man in the house of Nabal. 
The only thing was, there were some very wise servants in Nabal's house. And they went to Abigail and said, you need to understand something. David's coming back and it's not going to be to, uh, uh, to greet us kindly. Uh, and she went out with an offering and her wise words. She said, when you do become king. See, this thing wasn't unknown that David would be the next king. People in Israel that followed the Lord and understood God recognized it said that you won't have grief having avenged yourself at your own hand. If you'll stop and think of how many times you've gotten in trouble or you've brought shame upon your own life trying to requite someone who has hurt you, trying to give them what they gave you, or trying to protect yourself from injury from others. You have to understand some. If we're going to grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, we have to understand something. Regardless of what comes our way, God is still in charge. Now, I do challenge you to have uh, a little bit of understanding. Don't go playing in traffic and saying, God's going to protect me. It's not my day to die. That, that might not work out too well for you. We do not presume upon the grace of God, but we take the effort and the life that God has given us and we invest that life in being obedient to Him. Then came 1 Samuel chapter 30, and then we're going to end the story of David here today. At Ziklag, the most trying time of David's life. His mighty men who had learned to follow David into the face of the Philistine army and had seen the, uh, themselves protected by following David now speak of stoning him because everything they had was gone. Every man lost everything. A great, great lesson there. David encouraged himself in the Lord. David inquired in the Lord. And David followed and obeyed what God gave him. And God restored everything. And David, when it was time for him to become king, had been fully prepared by God. Those trials that David went through, none of us would like to go through something like that. But then David's, God is not preparing you to fulfill David's role. He's trying to prepare you to fill your role. And I will challenge you that your pain and suffering, the Bible says with tribulation we are to enter into the kingdom of God. Uh, that it's not going to be an easy road for you to travel. It's not going to be... Uh, a life without difficulty. But if we're going to grow in grace, do you know that success ruins as many people as failure does? That some people, when things finally go their way and they get what they want, it destroys them completely. Um, 
Read the life of Ronald Reagan. His father was an alcoholic. But his father did not go on the bottle when he lost everything and when things were bad. He would, he would uh, rally to the cause and he would get out there and he would find work. And when he finally started paying all the bills and everything went good, then he'd go back on the bottle and he'd lose everything again. That's a tragic, tragic story. That's how... He grew up, and that was one of the things that shaped him. And, and the president always, uh, uh, be, long before he became president, was very careful to take care of his parents and try to help them and keep them in a position where they wouldn't be facing this roller coaster of life. But I, I want to challenge us this morning as a church. We look at David, just a teenager. And a young one at that, anointed to be king. God's calling in his life. I I want to challenge our young people that are here today that you need to spend some time with God trying to discern what God wants you to do. That you need to pray about this. You need to spend... The Lord is more interested in you discerning what God wants you to do than you are. But God is not going to give you the knowledge of His will. He's not going to give you the direction that you need until you're faithful with what you have. David was supposed to keep the sheep. He was faithful. He was anointed to be king. And a lion came out to take the sheep. And David literally rescued the lamb out of the lion's mouth. I'll tell you, that's that's quite a challenge. Uh, the bear came and David rescued. Why? It was because David was looking for opportunities to demonstrate his proudness and his great abilities as a warrior? No. It was because David was trying to take care of the sheep. And taking care of the sheep means destroying the predators that would eat the sheep and kill them. That's why Jesus later used the illustration of the shepherd. The good shepherd does what? He gives his life for the sheep. You know, I think of some of the missionaries we support and have supported over the years. Uh, Some of you will remember back years ago, Brother Rex Switzer. He was a missionary in South America and then he moved up to Ethiopia and South Sudan And he literally gave his life on the mission field. Died of malaria and other complications. He's not a young man. But he was going where the Lord had called him to, witnessing to those that had called him. Hey, he he literally laid down his life. Another, I forget the man's first name, but his last name was Britt. He was also in Africa. uh, Died of complications of malaria. Just trying to serve the Lord. But God's not called us necessarily to lose our lives, but how many of us are spending our life trying to accomplish what we want to accomplish instead of what God wants us to accomplish? If you're going to grow in grace, you're going to understand that God's direction and God's plan is the best. 
I mean, if I were looking for a place to raise a family in this day and time, uh, I don't think New York City would be on the top of my list. But I'll tell you what, it was definitely God's will to come here. And so we just trusted that it was God's will to raise a family here. And at that time, we only had two. And a third one was on the way, and we're going, what in the world are we going to do with three kids? That's so silly. God knows what he's going to do. God knows how to do things. Growing in grace is trusting God. Growing in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, is understanding who Jesus really is and what is important to him and what the calling that he has given us is. And if we will grow, God's going to bring trials into your life. He's going to bring difficulties. Those of you that have been around the church, we've been through some very dark times, but we also have some very incredible stories to tell now, don't we? In fact, last night we I was out just picking up some trash out of the curb there, out of the gutter, and I saw a car parked there, and a gentleman got out and said, uh, I used to attend this synagogue as a little boy. Could I come in? And uh, Hannah was vacuuming the aisle and getting and said, Well, yeah, come on in. Take a look. He says, Wow, this is beautiful. He said, You guys have done such a good job preserving this building and and uh, just got to talk to him, found out that he is a Reformed Jewish rabbi, not Orthodox. And so it was a good thing I didn't explain to him that uh, independent fundamental Baptist church are like the Orthodox Jews. They stick just with the Bible uh, to a certain degree. Uh, the Orthodox stick with their tradition. We stick with the Bible, of course. But... Uh, uh, there was just an opportunity there a little bit, gave him a gospel track from the church. and and uh, But what I'm asking this morning is, can we, as individuals in the church, commit or recommit ourselves to simply growing in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ? I will challenge you that over 30 years ago, I was ordained to the gospel ministry, and I made a promise to my pastor, Brother Thompson, and then the new pastor of the church, Brother Folger. Uh, The current pastor of the church, Brother Pete, was still in middle school at that time. Uh, Several other men, Brother Clayton was there, Brother Marshall... I said, I, these are the truths that I hold. And that if I ever change and decide not to hold these truths, that I will return my ordination to the Cleveland Baptist Church. Because the ordination that they gave me was contingent upon my adherence to the doctrinal position of the Cleveland Baptist Church. That's just simply how, that's what an ordination is. And we've ordained several out of open door. Praise the Lord for that. And we made that same provision and their ordinations as well.
But you see, I don't ever have to worry about going back on those promises because all they ask me to do is be obedient to the Word of God. That's God's grace. And I will tell you, uh, well, let's see, August will be 31 years since that date of my ordination that I have grown in knowledge and I know those truths, those same truths, much better today and I hold them much tighter today than I did as a young man at the ordination. You see, growing in grace is going to attach you to this book. Growing in the knowledge How can you know more about Jesus and reject his body, which is his church? How how can you grow in the knowledge of who Jesus is and not try to tell other people, to give other people an opportunity to believe in the same Jesus that saved you? I I don't understand how someone could say, "I, I have grace and knowledge, I'm saved, but I refuse to get baptized the Bible way. I don't understand that. That, that troubles me deeply. It shouldn't, should not be. If you're going to grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, you should want to follow Him in baptism. We should want to be His servants. You see, you don't have to be a preacher to be a servant of the Lord. All you have to do It's grown grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, and all God's people said. Heavenly Father, we come before you today. And Lord, know that this is a very very simple, very plain truth, and each one of us in this auditorium needs to grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. But Lord, I pray that the Holy Spirit would open our eyes to see and understand the practical application for David. It was keeping the sheep. It was killing Goliath. It was taking those disgruntled and losers of life and shaping them into what would be known as David's mighty men. He was listening to the counsel of Abigail and not avenging himself and inquiring of the Lord and pursuing the enemies that had taken Ziklag to the recovery of all that was lost. Lord, I pray that the Holy Spirit would be able to open our individual eyes to decisions and things that we can make tomorrow as we go to work, as we live for you in this city who glorifies sin and loves what is evil, that, Lord, we would grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, that you would be able to put us in a position to give glory to Jesus Christ both now and forever. Amen. Let's stand together. The time of invitation has come. If you need to come and pray.
you simply want to make a decision to serve the Lord more, the altar is open. As Leland leads, would you come and would you pray?